Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. Um, for the past, I think this is our third year of doing this, but for the past few years, we've started each year uh, with a prayer service on the first Sunday of the year, just to focus on us coming together and praying together as a church, uh, as an acknowledgement, an expression of faith, that the most important things that we need to see happen in this church, in our lives, in the world this year, are things that only God can do, that we're dependent on Him to do them, we're looking to Him to do them, we're trusting and asking for Him to do them. And so we're going to do that again this morning, so if, if this is one of your first times with us, it may look slightly different uh, than a typical Sunday morning, but the way we're going to do it this year is we've been studying through uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians the past several weeks leading up to Christmas, and we took a little break on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, um, but I'm going to go back to the last section that we were in right before Christmas Eve and start there. I'm going to teach for just a few minutes out of that because I think there are some really, really important gospel truths out of that section that can inform the way that we pray. And then we're just going to walk through a few sections of Colossians, and I'll read a section, give us something to focus on in prayer, and then we'll take some time to pray together. And yet you may be sitting there, and it may, may seem like really quiet, and I may let it last too long before I pray, and it may feel awkward, and that's okay. Like If, if you've been here a while, you know this. If this is one of your first times, we like to embrace awkward around here, Okay. So that's just part of us. You'll get to know us today. We embrace the awkwardness. Um, but if you, feel like, if you need to kneel to pray, if you want to come up here at some point, you want to pray with a group, like, you pray as you feel led during each of these times. I'll close out each section and kind of move us along, and then we will sing together again at the end. Uh, but that's what the morning is going to look like. I did want to say one more thing before I pray and read this first section. Um, this, just, this crossed my mind a lot this week as I was walking through. It's Colossians 2, 6 through three seventeen. As I was looking through it, I was seeing this truth that we're going to talk about here in a minute and how central I believe it is to all of Christianity, like all of our Christian life, our spiritual life. And I feel like for anybody, when you get up here and teach, there's this danger that when you say the right things, like the things the Bible's actually saying, because you're the one that says it, that sometimes people sitting there, because I do this when I'm sitting there, but people who are sitting there will look at you and think, man, they've got it all figured out. Like, the, 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 kind of you assume whatever somebody up here says they're doing really well. And it's easy to sit out there and be like, I just, I never can live that out that clearly. I don't do that. Like, how, how, do they, how do they see that and do that so well? And I just want you to know, if you suffer from that illusion at all about me, that is not me. And so before we even start praying together, I just want to start with a, a, a confession in a sense for me so that I'll get out of the way this morning and you can encounter God and his word and he can work in your heart and this can be about your relationship with him and what Jesus does in you. When I stand up here, it is much more like somebody who's climbed up 10 steps of Mount Everest and then somebody hands them binoculars and they can see the top and they, I, I can describe the top to you because of the binoculars, not because I've been there. And, and maybe I'm not even 10 steps up yet. But the Bible is the binoculars. Like God is telling us the truth and showing us the truth and showing us what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, and I'm thankful that by his spirit, he helps us see it, helps me see it. I can communicate that to you. But I am 
Maybe a few steps I'm communicating. I know what it's like to walk these steps, and I can tell you from experience. But a hundred more steps I'm saying, this is where I know Jesus is still calling me to go when I read the Bible, and I know he's calling you to go there too. Let's go there together. Um, And so much less am I somebody that stands up here and it's like, oh yeah, I live all this and I've got all this figured out. I'm much more somebody that some days it feels like a victory if I just get out of bed in the morning. Um, I have certain insecurities deep inside of me that I'm really good at covering up by being solid and steady and steadfast and pretty sure on the surface. And then when life gets really heavy and starts to get out of control, and it's like, I don't know if I have the strength for all this. I don't know if I can control all this. I don't know if I can fix all this. I don't know if I have all the answers. That starts to press on those insecurities because I can't cover them up as well. And, you know, they start to crack and spread apart and turn into, like, really big wounds. And then I start to spiral because it's like, well, I can't handle all this, and all this stuff's going to come out. And one of the things it reveals for me in that moment when, when God allows life to press on my insecurities, my weaknesses, my wounds, my brokenness, is that the reason I spiral is because I'm still trying to be the answer. Right? My desperation is, I've got to fix this, cover this, figure this out, do this, handle this, whatever it is. And when life is too much and I can't, and I really know I'm not enough. Like, I cannot control all these things. I cannot fix all these things. There's too many variables. There's too much on me. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. Whatever it is. In that moment, the reason that it's so desperate and overwhelming is because I think I have to, but I can't. And so I've got to try harder, and I'm like, but I can't. And, it, and it, honestly, like, sometimes I just want to quit the whole thing. Like, if you, like I, sometimes I just want to never get out of bed again. Like, <laughs> this is not what you usually hear at the beginning, is it? But my problem is I think that I've got to get out of bed to fix it. I've got to do it. And the thing that I want you to see today, the truth for me as much as for you in those moments, the truth is, yeah, you can't. And God is going to show you that you can't. But Jesus can. And Jesus has. And Jesus is. And Jesus will in your life. That God is going to give you those moments that break you and cause all that stuff to crack open and reveal all that. And when you get desperate, realize you're desperate because you still think you've got to be the answer and you know you can't be. Instead, in those moments when you can say, it's okay that I'm not, and Jesus is, and I'm going to look at Jesus instead of looking at me. I'm going to rely on Jesus. There are things that need to be done in my life that only Jesus can do. There are things that I am desperate for that I can't bring about, that only he can bring about. And when you look to him and you know, hey, it depends on him. It's because of him. It's on his shoulders. And then you look to him and you're like, and he's done what needs to be done. Sometimes none of those circumstances have changed yet, but the desperation lifts because you realize it's not on you. And so... That's my confession as we start. I honestly believe, and this is a huge buildup for what we're getting ready to do, but I believe that what we are getting ready to see is central to the entire Christian life. I think you could almost say it is the Christian life when we get there. Like this is, this is Christianity. This is following Jesus. This is the supernatural religion that God has revealed to us in the Bible, given to us by his son coming, living, dying, and be raised, being raised back to life and sending his spirit, what we're going to talk about today. Like it's that 
central. But as I describe it to you, as we see it in Colossians 3, just know that I want us to see it together as people who all need this together. As people who need Jesus together. Because the other temptation on the reverse side for me is that I can see this and really believe it's true and really want you to see it and believe it for you. And we could sit down and talk about your life, and I would tell you, this is what you need most in your life. And then I have this really sneaky thing in me where I'm the one exception. (laughs) Where the grace that I believe is sufficient for you, I'm just not sure it's really offered to me. (laughs) The way that I believe that God will love you and accept you, there's this little thing in the back of my mind, like, well, you haven't earned that. You don't deserve it. Nobody's earned it. And so I say all this to you because... Everything that I'm saying that's really going on inside of me, I know in some way or another it's going on inside of you. Like we are all in the same position before God with the same brokenness and the same needs and the same answers. And I hope if I just tell you a little bit like, hey, this is really what's going on in my heart, that you will know that it's okay that that's going on in your heart. And it's okay to bring that to God. And it's okay to to reveal that, confess that, open that up and say, this is why I need Jesus. And so we're going to look at this together right now. Believing that God knows what we need. He's not surprised by what's going on in your life. He's not surprised by what's going on in your heart. He's not surprised by what you're struggling with. He knows. And he offers all of it in Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about, I hope, practically, how do we step into that? Not just to sit here on a Sunday morning and say, yeah, I believe that, but how do we start to live in this truth? So let me pray for us. Let's jump into these verses and... We'll see where we make it as we pray together as well. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Father, there are things in our life that we desperately need that only you can do. I confess that right now. Even during this time, if anything that actually matters is going to happen in any of our hearts, you have to do it. And so we come asking you to do it. And we trust that your grace is available to us to bring this about because of Jesus. And so believing in him, we ask all of this in his name. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2. And these verses are in your bulletins if you want to read along there. They're also going to be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 6, read a pretty big chunk here, and then I'm going to pull one main idea out for this time, and then we'll move into our prayer time. So, Paul writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. 
He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, we're going to stop there for right now. And I'm just diving right in. Big truth for the day, big truth for our prayer service, hopefully big truth for our life. Everything God tells us to do God also tells us Jesus has already done it for us.
everything God tells us to do, God also tells us Jesus has already done it for us. And I want you to see this several ways in these verses we just read. Let's start in chapter 3, verse 5 right here. We get a command from Paul to the Colossians and then to us now. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he gives some examples of the way that sin expresses itself through our earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. So there's a command here for you. Put these things to death in your life. These expressions of sin that come from your earthly nature, your sinful nature, put them to death in your life. Look two verses before that with me in verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So Paul says, this old you, this earthly, sinful, natural you, you've got to put this stuff to death in your life. And he's like, but that's already been done for you in Jesus. You already It's not put this stuff to death and you will die in Christ. It's you already have died, therefore put this stuff to death. It's not if you do this in your life, then Jesus will do this for you. It's Jesus has done this for you, therefore live out what he's done for you. Do you see that right there? And just in case you think, well, maybe, look back up here at Colossians 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God. He's like, you're so dead with Jesus that you've already been buried with Jesus. Right? You died with Christ. When, and you were united to him, connected to him in such a way that his death became your death, his burial becomes your burial. And even the, the physical, visible picture of baptism is us giving a, a visible picture of the spiritual reality that's already taken place where you were buried with Christ and raised with Christ to live a new life. And Paul's like, therefore, put to death all this stuff in your life. Because the foundation of the work that God has already done for you and in you in Christ, now you live it out by putting this stuff to death in your life. Same way in chapter 3, verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. So he gives us another list of stuff that shouldn't be inside you, behaviors that shouldn't be coming out of you. But this time instead of using death, he's like, get rid of it. Pull it off and throw it away. Get rid of stuff like this. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. So all this sinful behavior that can live in your heart and comes out of you as sinful behavior, he says, get rid of it. But then go right back here with me. To, and I know, by the way, this is a really weird illustration for us in our culture today. Like We didn't grow up as Jews and we don't live in that time. And so anytime this comes up, we're like, why, why, why is this in the Bible? But... In him, talking about in Christ, chapter 2, verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. And just notice here how much he hammers. This is not, we're not talking about something physical. This is not something external. This is not by human hands. This is a spiritual work by Christ. And he's talking about the cutting off of your sinful nature. 
It's a circumcision of the heart. And even in the Old Testament, when God instituted what seems to us like a really weird ritual to mark the, the Jews as his people, he starts with Abraham, and when all the males are circumcised on the eighth day, and it designates, hey, these are the people of God, and everybody's like, why in the world that? What in the world? Well, it was never about that. You know, we get down here and he says, hey, all these rituals, these festivals, these feasts, these laws of the Old Testament, they were all a shadow pointing forward to the reality in Christ. And so even this one, this really strange one, God's like, I was never talking about something physical marking my people. I was pointing forward to a spiritual thing that had to be done in your hearts. And if you look in Deuteronomy, he actually says one time that their problem isn't some kind of physical thing. He says they have uncircumcised hearts. And so this is him saying Jesus shows up and does the spiritual work that only Jesus can do. But I want you to see the connection here between chapter 3, verse 8, the command that we get. Rid yourselves of all this sinful behavior. Cut it off, chop it off, get rid of it, throw it away. Christ has already put off your whole sinful nature, the self ruled by the flesh. Jesus has done a spiritual circumcision of your heart where he cuts away this sinful nature and it's disconnected from you. And the new you who comes to life, the new you who's supposed to live in holiness and follow Jesus is no longer connected to this the way you were before because of the work that Jesus is doing in you. And so again, the, the command that God gives you, the thing he tells you to do, he also reminds you Jesus has already done this for you. Down here in chapter 3, verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. The command right here is what? Set your hearts on things above. But why? What's the reason behind it, the ground for it? Because you've already been raised with Christ. He's saying, God has raised you with Christ, and Christ is now seated at the right hand of God. So set your heart where you already are. Start to focus your heart and your life on the place where God has already put you. It is not, hey, if you set your heart on things above and you really desire heavenly things and you seek them for long enough, then God will place you up there with Christ because you really wanted it. That's not what it is. It's God has done a work in Christ where he gives you everything you need and he lifts you up out of the dead and he sets you up here with Christ and it's basically like he's saying, hey, realize where you are now. You're already there. I put you there. You don't have to do something to get there. Start living like you're there. Your heart is already there with Jesus. Now focus your heart on it. And he does the same thing in the very next verse. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So it's not set your minds on things above, and then eventually if you focus on that stuff enough, that's where your life will be. No, it's God has now already placed you there in Christ. Now your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Now Christ is your life. So start setting your mind on things above because it's already true. And do you see the difference, by the way, between every natural approach, every man-made approach in the entire world, whether it's religion or business or school or athletics, whatever, where it would be, do this, so that you will get this. That's the human natural way of doing things. And the message of Christianity, the supernatural gospel is, God has given you this, therefore you can do this. 
It's not do this to get this. It's do this because God has already given you this. It's not do this to make this true about you. It's God has made this true about you, and that's why you can live in this. This is, this is the difference between faith in the work of Jesus and effort by your own works. When you die to self and give up self, and you turn from self as the answer and the source, and you turn to Jesus and you say, he, I, I am trusting him and not myself. I'm confessing that I can't get this done, but I really believe he can. What I'm believing is he has done it all. And I don't bring anything to the equation outside of him. I'm stepping by faith into what he has done and believing that he's really given it to me. And I'm going to start living in what he has given to me. That what will flow out of me is what he is giving to me. Verse, I'm going to live this stuff out and do this and try really hard in order to earn what he offers to me. One of these is Christianity. One of these is the gospel. The other one is every natural human thought that's ever been in the history of the world, whether it's religious or not. All right, one of them, the, the one that's wrong, the transactional one, is you do this and you earn this. You do this, you get this. Christianity, the gospel says, no, God gives you what you haven't earned. God gives you what you don't deserve. Jesus has done it for you in your place. And Jesus now offers it to you, but not just, listen, not just on the outside where he's like, hey, I did this and it was enough, like I paid your speeding ticket, you're good. But rather, now I'm going to come live inside you. The very same life that lived perfectly for the Father and submitted perfectly to the Father and obeyed the Father perfectly, that Jesus comes to live in you by faith, by his Spirit, and he starts to produce this in you. And, and what the life of faith looks like is us constantly looking to him over and over and over, saying, yeah, I don't have this. I don't love this way. I don't have this type of compassion. I don't have this type of patience. I don't have this type of joy. I don't have this type of hope. And if I keep looking to me, it's, not, it's like if my pond is drying up and my solution is, well, I'm going to dig out the edges of my pond a little bit more. You know what happens when you dig out the edges of your pond? It gets more shallow, right? The pond gets a little bit wider and your water spreads out a little bit more and it evaporates that much quicker. Like, you can't dig out the edges of your pond to produce more of this because you're not the source of it. You need, just like that pond, you need to look to the sky and cry out, God, fill me with your rain. <laughs> like, you are the source. I need something pouring into me from the outside because I'm not the source. And so, just in case that seems like, okay, well, what, what in the world does that look like every day when I get up? And this is where I'm telling you, I ask that same question sometimes. I was like, how, how do I get up and breathe and eat and walk through my day and do my job and try to disciple my children and love my wife and, and keep up with all the responsibilities of people in my life and all that be an expression of faith? How do I do that relying on Jesus instead of just defaulting to me? This is one of the most helpful acronyms I've ever gotten about it, and I'm going to give it to you here. And this can happen really fast in your mind when you start to program it and walk through it. And let's just let's take a simple example of I come home at the end of the day, I'm worn out, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, it's really easy for me to be snappy, and my kids want 
from me. <laughs> Attention, affection, fun, um, and, and even like speak into these six things that went on during the day that they need a gospel answer. I need to point them to Jesus, but those conversations are going to take a whole lot longer than just snapping at them and telling them what they... And, and it's so much easier to just give them a rule. You go to that room, you go to that room, don't talk to each other. It'll solve the problem externally, and it'll do nothing for their hearts. But to sit down and engage them and to talk about what was going on in their hearts and to talk about the ways that Jesus and his gospel are the answer for that and to pray through that, like sometimes I'm just tired and I don't want to do it. And so if you're tired and you don't want to do it, I get it. And not just in that situation. But so what do we do in that moment when they come to me and I don't have in me what they need? I can either do that first solution where I don't give them anything they need. You know, I'm just like, get, just get away from me. Go to your room, go to your room, leave me alone. I can do that. Or I can fake it, and I can give them whatever dregs I've got left, and they're going to starve on my crumbs. Or option three right here. And, and this, like I said, this can happen in your mind really quickly, but here they come, and this whisper prayer where I acknowledge the truth. God, I don't have what I need. I don't love these girls the way that I should. And I can't. It's not in me. I'm dry. I'm empty. Apart from you, I can do nothing. You are the source. There's acknowledging the truth of who we are in our emptiness and who God is in his fullness. Of who we are in our need and who he is in his grace. So we just acknowledge it. I'm not going to try to stir something up inside of me. I'm going to admit that I don't have it. And, and that already bleeds into the second one. But since these things are true, since I don't have and he does, I pray. And again, it's great for this to be prayers all the time in your life, but it can be little whisper prayers in the moment. God, I don't know how to answer them right now. Give me your truth. God, I can't love them right now. Give me your love. And listen, this is different than saying, God, help me be more loving. Help me be wiser. Help me be more patient. They don't need more of my love. My love is already broken and faulty. They don't need more broken and faulty love. They need his love living through me. So I'm not asking him to give me a better version of me. I'm asking for me to die and for me to, him to give me him. His like You live your love through me. You live your patience through me. You live your truth through me. You live your wisdom through me. I'm asking for you to really be my life the way that you say you are. Christ is my life. My life is hid in Christ. You be, your, be my life right now. So you love them through me with your love. You answer them through me with your truth. You give me your patience. Live out your patience toward them right now. Give me your strength. Don't make me stronger. Let me live in your strength. So I've acknowledged, I pray, trust. All right. You prayed the prayer. You don't feel a bit different. This is the real kicker. Like, this is the thing that shakes me sometimes. Like, I pray it, and it's like, well, I don't feel like Superman now. <laughs> Listen, if you felt like Superman, you wouldn't have to trust that God's doing it instead of you. Right? I prayed this prayer. I just said, God, give me what I need to love them right now. So what I do is I trust that because of Jesus, God has given me that. And I step out in faith, and I know I act like I love them. And I don't mean fake. I mean live out. Like you, In a sense, you ask, if this is true, how would I love them right now? I'm going to live like God is answering. Because the deal is God's answer doesn't depend on what you feel, what you can see, what you can sense. Right? The work of the Spirit 
in your heart is deeper than all of that. And part of the role of faith is when I don't feel it, I'm still going to trust you. When I don't see it, I'm still going to trust you. Now, there may be times you may feel that sometimes extraordinary emotions accompany God's answers to your prayers. And that's great. Listen, I love that. I'd, I'd kind of like for it to be that way all the time if it were, <laughs> if it were up to me. Um, but then I probably would be more reliant on those emotions than I really would be on God. So when they're there, we trust God. When they're not, we trust God. When I feel a difference, I trust God. When I don't feel a difference, I trust God. But the, the point right here is I have asked. I believe that you give. So I'm going to step out in faith now like you're giving. So I trust, so I act. And those two are really closely connected. Like the, the, what you don't do is say, okay, God, I need you to help me love my kids right now. Give me your love. Live your love through me. I don't feel any more loving. All right, go to your rooms. <laughs> right? That's not what we do. Okay, I've asked for this. I've asked you to give me this. And so I'm going to, here I go. I'm opening my mouth and I'm starting the conversation as if I love them the way I should. I'm starting the conversation as if I have the strength that I need, as if I have the compassion that I need. And I'm going to trust as I walk into this, you're going to keep giving me what I need. So here we go, acting and believing that you're giving what we've asked for. And then when you get to the end, I think this is huge. You thank him. You get to the end and you look back and you say, thank you that you gave me what I didn't have. Like, don't get to the end and think, well, that went pretty well. Look at me. Look at me growing. Look at what I just did. I'm getting better at that. No, you're not. <laughs> and you're not supposed to. Not you. Christ in you. You needs to keep dying more and more and more. You needs to keep knowing, hey, I'm not doing this very well because he is. And so the, the thank is just a way of reminding yourself, like these two are really closely, they're all really closely connected, but what I, what I acknowledged at the beginning, I don't have this and you do. When I get to the end, if I really believe that, I'll thank you because the reason this happened is because you had it and you gave it. If I don't thank you, it's basically saying I didn't really mean what I said at the beginning. I kind of thought I had it and look, I did. I pulled it off. Look at me. And so, aptat. Um, I got that from John Piper a long, long time ago. Acknowledge your emptiness, your need. Acknowledge God's fullness and grace. Pray, because you believe those gospel truths. What the gospel says about who you are apart from Jesus, and what the gospel says that God is for you in Jesus. We believe that, so we pray. We trust. I, I, I've asked, and you promised to give. When I ask, I trust, so I'm going to act on what you say that you give, and then as I see you both working in my heart and working through me, I'm going to thank you for doing it. And one of the things that you're doing is you're reprogramming your spiritual knee-jerk reaction. Because don't get discouraged when you keep finding yourself in these situations and you're 30 seconds in or you're five minutes in and you realize, nope, I tried to dig out my own pond again. And my first, my first thought, my first response, my first reaction was, what do I need to do? How do I need to fix this? What do I need to find in me to do this? And the goal is that more and more quickly you start to develop the spiritual habit in your heart of, oh, there's a need. There's something pressing on me. There's something demanding. There's something overwhelming. There's something I don't have. What, what do I do in that moment? I go to God. I rely on the Spirit. I believe the work of Jesus for me. I believe the gospel. I ask, I ask God to give me what I don't have instead of trying to find in myself what I do so that it's constantly reprogramming my mind and reprogramming my heart to look to him as the answer instead of looking to me. 
Let's stop with that right now. We're about to pray together. I knew that my words could get really muddled trying to explain this. And so I turned to uh, a children's book to help explain it much better. This is from the Chronicles of Narnia. If you all are here much at all, you all know I talk about C.S. Lewis enough that you know I love him. But um, this section right here, I'm going to read for a couple minutes. Hopefully it's really entertaining to you so that you don't get too bored. But um, this may be the best picture of recognizing like what, what you need most done for you spiritually. Only Jesus can do, and Jesus offers to do it for you. The things that he tells you to do. He's offering to do for you. Everything God tells us to do, God also tells us Jesus has already done for us. So real quickly to set this up since we're jumping in the middle. In this particular book, uh, there's a a boy named Eustace who is just an absolute pain in the rear end. I mean, like, the way that C.S. Lewis can make you despise a kid in just 40 pages is amazing. And in this chapter, Eustace, because of the greed and selfishness inside of him, He ends up on a magical island, and the greed and selfishness inside of his heart manifests externally that he turns into a dragon. And he has no way to fix himself. Eventually, the people that are with him, including some of his cousins, realize that he's the dragon, but they've got no solution either. So they're stuck on the island trying to figure out how to undragon Eustace. And then one night, all of a sudden, human Eustace runs into one of his cousins he's been turned back and this is him giving the account of what happened now one other thing in all these books there's seven of them Aslan the lion is Jesus it just really helps you get the whole picture here so just listen for a minute and I want you to hear Colossians 2 and 3 and I want you to hear this truth this morning and then we're going to pray together after this like pray as a group but um and this is a couple pages so be patient with me so this is Eustace talking about the lion he says well It came closer up to me and looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight, but that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. Edmund asked, you mean it spoke? I don't know. Now that you mention it, I don't think it did, but it told me all the same, and I knew I'd have to do what it told me, so I got up and followed it, and it led me a long way into the mountains, and there was always this moonlight over and around the lion wherever he went. So at last we came to the top of a mountain I'd never seen before, and on the top of this mountain there was a garden, trees and fruit and everything. In the middle of it there was a well. I knew it was a well because you could see the water bubbling up from the bottom of it, but it was a lot bigger than most wells, like a very big round bath with marble steps going down into it. The water was as clear as anything, and I thought if I could get in there and bathe it would ease the pain in my leg, but the lion told me I must undress first. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast their skins. Oh, of course, thought I, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I were a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was the most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my foot into the water, I looked down and saw that it was all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as it had been before. Oh, well, that's all right, said I. It only means I have another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. 
So I scratched and tore again. And this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off the third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, but he said, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like billio, but it's such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the other ones had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty moldy, but I was glad to see them. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you? With his paws? Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other. In new clothes, the same I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back here, which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Why not? Well, there are the clothes, for one thing, and you've been, well, undragoned for another. What do you think it was, then? asked Eustace. I think you've seen Aslan, said Edmund. Everything that you need spiritually in your life, God has given to you in Jesus. And we can sit here and claw at ourselves for the rest of our lives. And we can pull off layer after layer after layer and keep showing you, I've pulled off 47 dragon skins this year. Look at me. And you're still a dragon. Until Jesus comes and does something deeper the very core of who you are a new heart a new nature a new person a new life in him and not just that he unclothes you he reclothes you with himself with his goodness i want us to pray that way this morning i want you to pray confessing what you don't have and what you need but also believing that God gives it to us in Jesus. Believing that God has already answered these prayers in Jesus.
offering these things to us. For us to step in faith, believing. Saying, okay, I believe that God will give me what I need. I'm going to keep going the way he calls me to go. I'm going to take this next step because he calls me to. We're going to do whatever this next thing is. In faith, believing that he gives us what we need. And so right now, we're just going to start. You can start personally with your own heart. What are the things that you're struggling with? What are the things that overwhelm you? What are the things that are too much for you to bear on your own? What are the failures or insecurities or wounds or brokenness, the lack that you need to bring to God right now? And I want you to just bring that to acknowledge it. Confess that you don't have it and that you can't fix it. And ask Him to. Ask Him to because of Jesus. Trust Him in Jesus. And so a moment of confession for you and a moment of asking Him to give and do what only He can give and do. Let's pray together. Father, we hear Jesus' words right now and we believe in Him. That He is the vine and we are the branches and apart from Him we can do nothing. And we confess that. Our spiritual inability, our spiritual powerlessness, our spiritual helplessness to do the things that really matter in our own hearts and in other people's hearts. And we come to you trusting that you offer that life and that hope in Jesus. We come on this truth that Christ is our life and that our life is hidden with Christ in you. And so, Father, we ask you to give us more of yourself in the experience and the the lived out moments of our lives manifest the reality of this truth as we look to you by faith. May Christ in us be our life. Father, strengthen our faith in a way that we live out the truth that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. May that be true in our hearts and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. For our next prayer, back where we started today, when Paul was encouraging the Colossians to keep looking to Jesus, he had just said in verse 5, the verse before we started, he said, I'm delighted to see how firm your faith in Christ is. And then he picks up the first verse, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, like you started in this place of putting your faith in Jesus, you trusted him, continue living that way this ongoing faith in Jesus. Don't look to Jesus this one moment to save you when you knew you couldn't save yourself and then turn to yourself as if you're going to have the spiritual strength to do the rest of this. You look to Jesus this moment and you look to Jesus this moment and this moment and you keep looking to Jesus for all the spiritual strength you'll ever need. Rooted in Him, built up in Him, strengthened in your faith as opposed to living by hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. Pray this for your life, but pray this for us as a church right now that this would be a year where we are built on Christ, where our, our faith in Christ grows strong, we are strengthened in Christ, that this would be what we grow strong on, and this would be what we offer to others, and it wouldn't be hollow and deceptive philosophy and human tradition. So will you pray for that purity of faith in the gospel and strong faith and a foundation of faith in your life and in our church? Let's pray that together. Father, please build our lives and build this church on Jesus. Rooted in Jesus. Built up in Jesus. Growing in Jesus. Strengthened in Jesus. By your spirit and by your word, stir up that type of faith inside of us. Rescue us and deliver us and protect us from human traditions, from hollow teaching that looks good on the outside but is empty of the life of Christ. Build your church. May your kingdom come in our hearts and in this church and on earth as it does in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to take us back to the prayer that Paul prayed in Colossians 1 right here. I'm just going to read through it, and then I'm going to ask you the, the lines that stick out to you. Pray them in the next couple of minutes for, for yourself and for us. He says, for this reason, since the, and this will be on the screen, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, 
and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And so pray that God will pour out his spirit, that he would give us wisdom and knowledge to know his will and specifically to know him more. Pray that he would be working in us so we live a life worthy of the Lord, that we're bearing fruit. He's producing fruit, and as we're connected to him, we're bearing fruit, strengthened by his power, that he's given us great endurance and patience, and that in this time as you pray these things, thank him for what he's already done for us, already given us, how he's already qualified us for these things in Jesus. So I'll, I'll leave it there on the screen for now. And as you pray your way through it, I'll probably scroll down just a second. But let's pray together for a minute. Father, please give us your spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you more and that we may know your will. And then, Father, strengthen us by your power and might that we can live out what you are calling us to do. We can only do it by your strength. And so we come asking and trusting you. And we thank you that you have already qualified us to receive this and inherit it in Jesus. And so we come in Jesus' name, trusting in him and asking for these things, for your purposes in our life and in this church and in your world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. One last section. I want you to listen to what God's done for us in Jesus and who Jesus is. And we're going to praise him for this praying for just a minute and then we're going to sing together also in worship but hear it here for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And then, after all that about Jesus, I want you to come down with me verse 28 right here talking about Christ in you the hope of glory he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ I want you to take a minute here and praise God for who Jesus is God the son that section that we read praise God for what he has done for you rescuing you delivering you forgiving you in Jesus and then also in that pray that our hearts would be committed that if this is who Jesus is if this is what God offers to us in Jesus that Jesus will be our only message that we will proclaim Jesus in this place and in our lives with every breath until the day we die and so praise God for who Jesus is and pray that we would be devoted to following Jesus the way that we should based on who Jesus is. Will you pray that for us? Father, we bow our heads before you right now in awe of who Jesus is. That in Jesus you have shown us the fullness of your deity. That you have revealed yourself to us and, and made yourself known. And in Jesus we see you as the one who is before all things and the source of all things and the goal of all things, that all things come from you and through you and back to you for your glory. And Father, we don't understand it nearly as much right now as we just praise you for it, for who you are, and for letting us know you in Jesus. 
as Christ lives in us, this glorious mystery and this hope of glory, may we declare him, Father. May this church and may our lives declare to the world, Jesus, 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 Jesus. The Lord saves, gracious and compassionate. Father, I pray that that message will ring louder in our hearts and out of us that it will ring louder in your world. Please continue to build and deepen and strengthen this in us by your grace and by your gospel as only you can. May we grow in wisdom to full maturity in Christ. You have to do it and you can do it and so we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you'll stand and sing with us. We're going to have some people down here. If you'd like to pray with somebody, uh, staff, wives, elders of the church, we'll be down here for that. Um, if you just want to come and pray some more on your own, you're welcome to do that. But we're going to sing a couple of songs of worship together as we wrap up this morning. So worship with us.